It's snacking and get cracking with a snack that packs a protein punch. Pistachios are known for their protein power, fiber, and better for you unsaturated fats for a combination that may help you keep feeling fuller longer. Wonderful Pistachios is a good source of protein with zero gill. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. I love that they come in a variety of sizes and flavors, making this the perfect protein snack for any on-the-go adventure. Check out wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more about how these little green wonders can power up your day. Welcome back, everyone, to a special pre-classic recap edition of the Flow Track Podcast. I'm Kevin Selly. I'm going solo. Got Colt producing, though, today. Travis producing. Gordon's already lost his voice, not because of the meat, because of some other issue. We'll get to that next week. I know you go, all you Gordon fans want to know what Gordon's up to, but it's just going to be me today recapping the Prefontaine Classic, which, all in all, solid meat. We had all the scratches pre-meat. So some of you, you know, you saw the weather forecast too. Some of you guys rightfully could have thought, hey, is this actually going to live up to it, both in terms of marks and in terms of competition and in terms of all the head-to-head battles we want to see? And I think it delivered. I think it did deliver given all that. So we'll talk, we'll start with the hundreds, women's and men's, because those are top of mind. I want to talk about the men's 400 because somebody's back. Uh, mile, 1,500, women's eight. And then at the end of the show, we'll talk about those 10,000s which involve U.S. championships. So we have uh, six more people, three men, three women, with spots on the U.S. team. Uh, if you got questions and stuff, throw them in the chat. I'll try to get to them um, towards the end, or if they're really awesome, I mean, Travis can text them to me too. But let's start first with the women's 100. Let's start first with the women's 100. That was one of the earlier events, which I thought was interesting too, because, it was, hey, this is kind of a marquee event, and they put it towards the beginning of the TV window. Elaine Thompson, hurrah, as expected, gets the victory. Does what Elaine Thompson, hurrah, has done this year, although this was the fastest mark she's put up this year, 1079. Really wasn't challenged throughout this race. There was really no point in that race when I was watching it, and I thought, hey, Elaine Thompson, hurrah, is under pressure. Elaine Thompson, hurrah, could run that. Now, part of the reason is because I know her history. I know the last couple of years and how great she's been. But the other part of it was just, it was smooth all the way through. So a 10.79 for her. Now, put her 2021 a season aside, which is tough, right? Because that's when she went sub 10.7s and she was hitting the 10.6s and she's hitting the 10.5s even. Um, 10.7s was usually where her sweet spot was. I mean, she could run low 10.7s. You could say the same thing with Shelly and Fraser Price. So when I look at this race, no surprises at all. I mean, the weather wasn't perfect. wasn't horrible. Could have been much worse, um, but it was solid. It wasn't like it was in some of these earlier meets this year. Crazy headwinds, torrential downpours. Weather was fine. But I think she leaves this meet still being the favorite. If you're going to compare her to Fraser Price in the 200, Thompson Hurrah comes out with a better mark, although Fraser Price looked fine. I mean, that, that 200 wasn't one of the top races of her career, but she gets a win. But really what is going to separate this from from previous seasons, just in terms of times, is can she get under that 10-7 barrier? Because for so long, sub-10-7 was just unheard of. And those two women did it last year, and Fraser Price has done it this year, with such regularity that we got kind of used to it, and it didn't start to feel as special as it should have. Now, can Thompson Hurrah win gold this year by running 1075. Can Fraser Price win it by running a 1072? 
Absolutely. I in no way, shape, or form think that last year is for sure going to happen this year. But it might take a 10-6 or it might take a 10-5 from one of those two women. Uh, I think Thompson Ra proved today that she's trending in the right direction. Any injury issues that she may or may not have had, I think, are to the wayside. Um, she entered this race as the favorite. She leaves the race as the favorite. You look at the other people in the field, right, in this, in this women's 100. You have Shakira Richardson. You have Sharika Jackson. You have Tolu. You have, I mean, some of the top women other than, you know, you have Dean Asher-Smith, Twanisha Terry, Cambodji, Tiana Daniels, Brianna Williams. We said on the pod before, hey, this could look like a world championship final. The one big omission, of course, is Shelly and Fraser Price. But Elaine Thompson, hurrah, winning this sort of race with this level of comfort is nothing but good news for her, good news for Jamaica as they get closer to the world championships. So now you see the early list. You got Fraser Price's 1067. If you want to say, hey, Kevin, that's at altitude, that's great. Even if you use those calculators, that goes out to 1070. So that's still the best performance of the year. I still consider it the best performance of the year. Uh, and then you have a lot of women in the 10.8s to 10.9 range. But again, nothing here surprised me from Elaine Thompson. Hurrah. Now, runner up, Shakira Richardson. I was surprised, pleasantly surprised, based on what we saw last week, based on what we saw at the end of 2021. She goes 1092. Runs the same time as Shrieka Jackson, but she got the nod over Shrieka Jackson. Beats Dina Asher-Smith, who's just coming off a Diamond League victory in her own right. I mean, this was a great performance for Shakira Richardson. Now, some people say, oh, she lost. Oh, she was a tenth or more back. You're judging her then on this scale that she has to be better than the Olympic gold medalist and potentially the greatest women's 100-meter runner of all time. I mean, just... Go back to last year's Prefontaine Classic. Think about where she was there post-Olympics and she got last place. Now she's running and getting second, a solid second. She looked really good in the back half of this race. She was wearing a crown or a tiara. It came off in the middle of the race. Didn't matter. She still was able to get up for second place. And with Richardson, this was the fifth fastest time she's ever run. Wind legal. 1072, 1074, 1075, 1077, and then 1095 before today. So this was a good performance by any standard. Now, you're going to say, all right, well, early last year she was running 107s. So she's behind where she was at. Well, maybe she may be behind where she was, but she's raced infrequently we can say. And obviously last year kind of threw her off her rhythm. And I think, look, if she goes through the rest of the season and she loses to Thompson Hurrah and loses to Fraser Price, I think that's a good season. I know, yeah, everybody's going to say, oh, it's gold or nothing. Or it doesn't matter. But based on where she was, I mean, this is the best performance she's had since the Olympic trials last year. Because we all know what happened after that. Suspension, then she comes back, never finds a rhythm. As I mentioned, she gets last at pre. She runs some races in in Europe that weren't as good as her races before the season. And then she goes and runs the races in Jacksonville. And uh, even if you just compare where she finished, you know, in Jacksonville in relation to the people that were in that race versus today, you've seen the jump up in performance. 
So I don't think this is anything other than positive for Shakari Richardson. And it just goes to show you the fluctuating expectations games that we play with superstar athletes of, oh, this is a success. Oh, this is a failure. I said after Jacksonville last week, I said, it, you know, it could be, it could be that she's just a young athlete working through some stuff and that once she gets it right, she can be a medalist and potentially be in the mix for gold medals one day. But somehow the standard of success for her became you have to beat Thompson Hurrah and Fraser Price when they're at their absolute peak, meaning I mean, if, if you want two of the top three, two of the top four, I don't know, even if you want to be the most generous, someone could even make an argument they're the top two of all time. And I'm sure people wouldn't argue with you about that. So your, your competition matters. And I think if Richardson can win USA's and make that world championship final, you know, get some more experience and, and come over with the bronze, I think, I mean, most people would have taken that result at the end of last year, at the beginning of this year. I mean, people were questioning whether or not she was going to run a month ago. And now she's in a diamond league, a tough diamond league, and she's getting second. Only positives, I think, out of this race for her. I mean, if there was a betting line attached to it, her odds would have gone, her odds would have gone up. So that's how I feel about the women's hundred. Um, other res- I mean, Jackson was pretty good there, 1092. Uh, Asher Smith coming back up. You know, she won at home and then big travel over here. I'm not going to read too much into that other than she's, she's in the mix. Tanisha Terry, sub, sub 11 there. That's solid. Um, nothing too crazy on the back half of that. As we mentioned, you know, someone is going to not, someone's going to have to finish last and second to last. And because of the strength of the field, it's going to make them look worse than they actually are. All right, but let's go this. I think let's go to the men's four or the men's hundred. Let's go to the men's hundred and then we'll get to the men's 400. Um, men's hundred. Bromel was a late add to this race. I don't know if people remember that. Trayvon Bromel was not even scheduled to be in this race. Remember Lamont Marcel Jacobs dropped out. Bracey dropped out. Baker dropped out. Now, maybe it was the plan all along that, hey, for sure someone's going to scratch and we're going to throw Trayvon Bromel in there. But this may not have even happened. And he wins this thing 993 over Curly's 998. And he celebrated early. Now, I'm not talking about Bolt 2008 slapping his chest, pointing to the clock, throwing his hands up early. But he celebrated pretty early. Trayvon Bromel was very pumped up to win this race, and as he should be. Let's throw this photo up on the screen. I mean, that line that's behind him, I believe, is the mile start line, which would be nine meters back of the finish line. So he's celebrating a good way out. And he had a right to be ecstatic because of how tough this field was. The times were not crazy, given what we know about track, and some people posted some fast times, but it didn't matter. For him, this was all about getting a head-to-head victory or a head-to-head-to-head to victory here. And he matched Coleman's start is what it looked like for me. We started recording right after, so I haven't seen seven different replays, so someone can correct me if I'm wrong. And it looked like Coleman even got up on him, and then Bromel just had a response. And when you're going against Coleman and you're going against Curly, 
you're going against guys at, at both ends of that 100-meter spectrum, one who goes out hard. You can say the same about Lyles too, right? You have the really amazing starter in Coleman, and then you have the closers in Curley and Lyles. And he was better than all of them today. And just to see the reaction, to see the emotion from Bromel, lets you know how big of a deal it was. So he goes 993, Curley 998, Coleman 1004. And because Coleman runs 1004, you go back and you look at that opener in Japan where he ran over 10 seconds and you start to wonder, okay, well, did we have too high of an expectation on Coleman heading into the season? I still say no because I thought he ran really well indoors. He lost the one race narrowly to Marcel Jacobs. And we know how good Jacobs can be. But Coleman, I think Otto Bolden said it on the, the broadcast, he's got some work to do moving forward. Lyles, 10.05 in the mix. That was solid. Tobogo, the teenager, ran really well uh, against this field. We didn't see that many sub-10s. And since we didn't see that many sub-10s, it means we didn't see an Arian Knighton sub-10, which I thought was all but guaranteed after the 1949. But he runs 10.14 to get six. So he's 0.02 behind Tobogo. That could be the future of this event between those two. But I think the headline here obviously is Bromel. Now a lot of people can say, well, wait, 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 wait. You got really excited about Bromel last year. Ran fast early. Ran fast in the middle too. It was really just the Olympic, that latter part of the season, Olympics on. He entered the Olympics as the favorite. So I'm not willing to bet my house yet on this race. But I just thought it was promising because after the end of 2021, there were reasons to believe the event was trending away from him. You had Curley ascending, you have Jacobs ascending, you have Coleman returning, and then you have wild card in someone like Arian Knighton, and you have a consistent force in someone like Andre de Grasse. So there were reasons to be concerned about what the 100 would look like this year for Trayvon Bromel. Which makes me think of another guy who didn't have a good Olympics by his standards and responded today and responded in an even bigger way. This, I think, was the biggest, most consequential result of the entire meet. And that's Michael Norman in the 400. 43.60, the second fastest time of his career, breaks the Diamond League record. And as you're watching this race, you're watching the first 100, you're watching the first 200, looks pretty standard. It looks like the race we've grown accustomed to see from Michael Norman and this 400-meter field, except when Stephen Gardner's in it, because Stephen Gardner is still able to, to drop some sub, sub 44s. And it reminded me that we had forgotten a bit about the magic of Michael Norman. And that, that magic was 18, 2018, that magic was early 2019, and there were flashes in between. He'd run a, an amazing 100 or amazing 200 here. But it was really those first, I mean, you could even go back to 16 if you want to talk about him being a, a young superstar. But I'm talking about that 400-meter dominance. I'm talking about Eugene, NCAA Outdoor Championships, 43-61. I'm talking about 43-45 at, at Mount Sac. Those types of performances where it's just, you're just a bit in awe and you're wondering what the potential is of this guy. But it had been a while since we had seen that. And there have been reasons to doubt. And it all changed. With 200 to go. Because 200 to go 
he started to push. And it started to remind me of 18 and 19. And I thought, well, hold on. Wait a second. Still got another 100. As we know, so much can change in the last 100 of a 400. And then the last 100 happened. And he just poured it on and poured it on. And the margin grew. And I thought, hey, this time is going to be quick. Either that or this race is just really slow across the board. But this is going to be something special. And he crosses the line, 4360. I said, whoa, I jumped up off the couch. Because I think most people, you know, after a certain amount of times, you wonder if it's going to come back. You wonder if it's going to be there again. And we've seen his struggles throughout the last couple of years. Injuries have been an issue with him before. And we just didn't know if he would get it back. And we've seen 400-meter runners be amazing when they're young and then hit a peak and that's it. Right, So people were rightfully wondering, hey, are we going to see this again? But then you see the time go across the board, 43.60, and you're like, he's back. He is back, and this is going to be an exciting next couple months. And it makes you think back to when he ran earlier this year in Japan. I don't know if you remember that, that race. This is 44 and change. And I wondered why afterwards he was so down on himself in the interview. They did the winner's interview, and they're like, hey, you won. How do you feel? And the person giving the interview is probably expecting him to be all bubbly and, yeah, it's great to be here. I, I, I really just wanted to get the victory today. It feels so great to open up my form. No, he was so down on himself. And this makes sense now as to why, because he knew he had this in him. And he knew he had it in him, not because of some distant memory. He had clearly done something in practice, run something recently, where he knew this was a possibility. Now, he had run that. That good 200 this year, too, where he lost to Curly at Mount Sac. So we knew that that sort of performance in there, but we just hadn't seen it in a 400 in a while. He wins trials last year, 44-0, and that's fine. And then in retrospect, beating Michael Cherry is a good win, just based on how good and consistent Michael Cherry's been. But we really need to go back farther. We really need to go to 2019. We need to go to 2019. I mean, USA's, he gets beat by Fred Curley, runs sub-44. But you almost could go even you almost need to go back to that Mount Sac race. You almost need to go back to 4345 to when we were in this endless possibility phase of Michael Norman, to where you could throw out any American record, sure. War record, it's a possibility. First guy under sub 43. Like none of those questions were off the table with Michael Norman. And then in a matter of a couple years, he just became another guy in the 400. So this was a complete throwback performance. I'm excited about it because what it means for the 400, right? Because now Stephen Gardner's got someone to run with. I mean, you saw how well, Crying James ran well today, 44-0, and was a little bit farther back. I mean, these it's going to up the level of the event, bringing it back. Um, and I think Gardner's very underrated, right? I think Norman had a lot of the tension for good reason, but you know, Gardner wins gold medals. That's what he does. But now with Norman going 43.60, and that's a rare, I looked this up, only, there's only been 12 faster 400s ever run in history. He's run one of them, the 43.45, but only 12 people have covered a 400-meter circuit quicker than Michael Norman did today. So to me, hands down, that was the biggest performance of the day, the most consequential, the most surprising. Whatever you want to slap on it, it was Norman telling us he is back and he is here. Everybody should be excited about it. Even got some props from Michael Johnson, which if you follow Michael Johnson's Twitter account, sometimes it's hard to get props out of Michael Johnson. 
what he called it, a masterclass, an absolute masterclass. And that is the right way to put it. Let's transition to mid-distance. Let's talk mile. And then we'll go men's mile, women's 1500. Lots to talk about in those two races. Start with the men's mile. I picked against Jakob Ingebrigtsen. I don't know why I picked against Jakob Ingebrigtsen. I should probably not pick against Jakob Ingebrigtsen, especially at the Prefontaine class. Uh, I picked Abel Kipsang. He was the hot hand. He disappeared during the third lap and then came back during the fourth. I thought it was going to be much worse. He ends up getting fourth. He looked out of it in that third lap, just drifted back. But nobody followed the pacer, really, when Eric Sawinski went out. So it just was one of those things where Ingebrigtsen was left at the front. and. In a different era, that would have meant he would have started running 62s. But with this field and with this guy, Jakob, he's just, he's unafraid. He's just going to keep grinding it down and going quicker and quicker and quicker. So he runs 349.7. Looked very easy. Looked very controlled. Uh, I still, though, don't think this event is over for, for this year. I, Gordon, co-host Gordon, again, thinks Jakob will never lose a mile until he has grandkids or something. But Oliver Hoare ran really well for second. But Chariot and Kipsang, you know, both ran 350. They were not that far back. The tables can turn quite quickly. Now, on the American side of things, Hawker Tier, Tier Hawker. We've talked about this a bunch. I thought the faster pace would lend itself better to the talents of Cooper Tier than Cole Hawker, but it actually was Cole Hawker. And Hawker ran into a brick wall with about, what, 70, 80 meters to go? Because Kipsang and Chariot were running shoulder to shoulder. Hawker ran right up to him. And if the positioning was better, or if they were single file for whatever reason, I think Hawker could have gone by and, and maybe even finished ahead of Hoare. But he, he almost, it felt like he it kind of broke his momentum. So he runs great to go 350.97. Tier, 351, a PB. I don't think he's that upset about that because again, if we're talking about how do you get on the U S team, Cooper Tier has a path in the 1500 because even if Cole Hawker beats you, you'd need to find two other guys right now in the United States who are better than Cooper Tier to keep him off that 1500 meter team. 5,000, maybe you can make a better argument, but 1500, it looks clear. So good run for both of those guys to go five, six in that setting. Again, I was I was impressed by Hawker because what was that record? Five and zero in the 1500 in the mile against his teammate. We, we discussed that on the last pod. Tier had a big advantage over him, but today Hawker put himself in it. And again, it looked for a while there like he might run up and get second. Good close though from Oliver Hoare. Great close from him um, to run a personal best. Farther down in the field though. Because it's the Prefontaine Classic, because it's the Bowerman Mile, there has to be seven different storylines. And this one was Colin Salmon, the high schooler, who has run insane marks this year. And it almost feels like a rite of passage if anytime you have a, a transcendent high school star that they have to run in the Bowerman Mile or the two mile. They have to be involved in something in the Prefontaine Classic just to go for it, just to, just to put them in with the pro field and just say, hey, have at it. Now, Salman has a lot of experience running against pros, not against pros of this level, but he has more experience than most high schoolers do. 
356-24. So behind only Alan Webb and Jim Ryan. That's the list. Alan Webb, Jim Ryan, and now Colin Salmon. And I thought early on, I thought, is this the best forum for him to be trying to go after this record? Because it's tough. This field is really hard, and you're going to have to run at the back of the pack and be okay with it. Because otherwise, you're going to get ahead of yourself. You're going to run over your skis, and then you're going to have a big-time positive split. But he just hung in there. He just hung in there. And we couldn't see every moment of it because they were tracking the front of the pack. But I saw Henrik Ingerbritsen back there for a little bit. He ends up finishing ahead of Clayton Murphy. There were two guys at 355. So he held his own in this field. And 356 is right what I thought was possible based on what he had put out this year and what he had run indoors. Um, just a remarkable season. And I don't know how much longer his season is going to go. I don't know if this is going to continue for another month or two months or he's going to take a break. But 356 at the end of all that. It also makes you appreciate the two times ahead of him too, that they were that fast. This was this ended up being a great setting for him to do it because the, the pack was thinned out. The pack was uh, – the, they were moving at an appropriate pace. I mean, they could have gone out even crazier. If they had followed – Sawinski's pace, I think there actually would have been a gap or there would have been a complete separate group that wasn't getting any benefit. But because everybody was drafting off the person in front of them, it helped out a ton. Um, and something I want to do now is look, compare resumes. We'll have to do it when we have more time. But where does Salman's career rank high school boys all time in the mid-distance? Right? How does it match up to some of the all-time Greats because now he's moved up on the mile list. We've seen what he can do in cross country, right? Seeing what he can do in the 5,000. I want to know what Salmon, like where he stacks up all time. So that'll be a fun discussion to have moving forward. Uh, women's 15. Faith Kipiegon, man, is just fun to watch. So on the broadcast, they said, man, I thought this would be closer because Sagai and Kipiegon were gone. But the reason why. There was such a big gap. And the reason why I laughed when they mentioned it is because they go 60, 60. They were 203 at 800. And then they followed that up with another 63. And at that point, this is, I was like, this is going to be fast. It's just a matter of how fast is it going to be. So Kipiegon's mark, number nine in history. She's run faster than that, but it's number nine in history. And Sagai held on for the ride and ran a 354. But Kip Yegon is so good. Most people, you go out 60 and then 63. I mean, that's 203. That's 406 mile pace. I mean, that's what, three, about roughly 349, 1500 meter pace. So she was on world record 1500 meter pace uh, at least through halfway, maybe even a bit longer. But she doesn't seem like she can be stopped. It's just incredible. It doesn't matter. What the race is, her 351, 352, 353, 354 is everybody else's 356, 57, 358. Like she just handles the pace 
regardless. And she went out with a clear race plan, a clear mission of not letting this thing go tactical, not letting this thing dawdle at all. And it just makes that event so much more fun when people race it all the way from the gun. And I give credit to Sagai for, for sticking with her, for hanging on. Tiana Demarais got it, or Tiana Madison. She ran the hell out of that 1500. That's exactly that's exactly what happened. I mean, she just she ran it like it was an 800 or something. She just went for it from the gun with no expectation, no worries at all that it would potentially cost her uh, on the back half. Other people I want to mention though: Gabrielle Debut Stafford was third, 358. It almost was two separate races. Sinclair Johnson of the U.S. PB 358. That's a big performance. Anytime you get an American. Sub four, that's big. Maybe she can make the team off that. Jessica Hall, 359. Then uh, St. Pierre, 359. Hailu, 359. So seven women sub four in this race. Was surprised Laura Muir, not a factor. 404 in this race. That was surprising for me that she finished that far back. Again, she just ran in Birmingham last weekend. Might be tough flying over, adjusting to the time zones. But this really was all about Faith Kipyegon, just putting her brilliance, putting her dominance on full display and, and making it so everybody could see there is no confusion about who the greatest women's miler is of all time. It's Faith Kipyegon. End of story. There doesn't need to be any more conversation about it. It's Faith Kipyegon. Women's eight. Women's eight was exciting. Now, a thing mobile in there, being there would have been more exciting. Uh, I saw that she was out because of uh, COVID still coming back. So we'll get that Mo Hodgkinson meeting later. Hodgkinson ran a patient race, a smart race, and, and a very effective race, winning in 157.72. Um, she's young, just like a thing Mo. And 800, there's a lot of tactical decisions involved. So you can never assume that people are going to just be able to handle a race like this. But I thought what she did uh, was really smart. Natoya Gould went out hard. She laid back. And then she made that move over the last 100. And Wilson was closing hard. Ajay Wilson was closing hard. And Raven Rogers always closed hard. So anytime you can hold off a Raven Rogers close, you know you're doing a good job. Farther down in the results, right, we have. Ajay Wilson, who, again, is going to be, I mean, unless something drastic changes over the next four weeks, we're going to enter another U.S. championship where Ajay Wilson is favored to make the team. She runs 158.06 here, Rogers 158.44. I think you'd got to, you have to say those two plus Mo are going to be the favorites to make the team. I mean, Herta ran 159.59 in this race, which was solid. Wilson, who came in with a 158, uh, she ran two flat. Nia Aikens has run fast this year as well, too. But I think you'd be comfortable with those three. Just tactically, what they have to offer, it plays well in a championship-style race. Like, Raven Rogers knows how to make teams. She knows how to get in that top three. And Wilson, I think what happened was, I mean, that indoor gold clearly buoyed her. Now, you didn't see that at Penn Relays, but that was, that was a 600. Not willing to read too much into a 600. She tried to make that race go and then ultimately 
the last 200, you know, Mo went by her and then the field really moved past her. But I, I don't think anybody really doubted whether or not Ajay Wilson would, would be able to get back after last year, but it's clear now. It's clear as day. This was a solid performance for her. Um, but we still have these three tiers in the women's eight. How I, this is what I feel right now is Mo, tier one, Hodgkinson, tier two. These are very lonely tiers. There's nobody else really with them. Mo, Hodgkinson, and then that next group, which would include the Wilson, the Rogers, and then I think some other people can enter into that mix depending on the day. But I want to see Hodgkinson versus Mo. I think everybody does. Everybody wants to see that matchup. So hopefully we'll get it before the world championships. Hopefully we don't have to wait until the end of mid end of July. Cause that would be a bummer. Before we go, I want to talk about the uh, USA 10,000 champs just cause there's team teams that have been named. Um, so I want to talk about that. The, and and also we just got our predictions crazy wrong. At least I did. Um, let's start with the men. Klecker, this thing was crazy tactical. Like so slow from the get-go. And we talked about the weather being great. It was very conducive to, to fast performances. But they didn't go. There was a couple of people making it. was one of those races where there was a whole bunch of people in it down the final stretch. You know, there was a lot of, lot of guys who had a kicker's chance to win this. So, that, But there were two races that were going on with 100 to go because Klecker and Fisher were in a battle and then there was the battle for third and it looked like it was going to be Emmanuel Bohr. He had an edge over McGordy. McGordy was closing hard and then with about 60 or so meters to go, Bohr looks to his right, then his left. He keeps looking, he keeps looking, he keeps looking and then makes a conscious effort. He moved out. He moved to the outside, sensing someone was coming, and then he wanted to block them. Now, McGordy is coming fast. And so McGordy was probably headed straight to where Bohr was heading. And I, maybe McGordy watched the tape last year of uh, Chalimo, you know, versus Kincaid and Fisher in the 5,000. McGordy basically Euro-stepped inside of him. He cut inside. So the, the blockade backfired. Because McGordy cuts inside and then goes past him and then Bohr trips and falls as well, too. So you have just a lot going on in those final meters. And you could pro Emmanuel Bohr, if he just doesn't look around and just stays straight, does he have enough to get McGordy? Those are the things that you wonder about. So I'm watching that just because it's fascinating what's going on. Meanwhile, I'm missing. Klecker outkicking Fisher in the last hundred net. So I went back and, and watched it. It wasn't as if Fisher was out of position and then just got a late start. He has the lead with a hundred to go and Klecker just wore him out. Now you ask yourself, Hey, Grant Fisher is the American record holder, 2633. Why is he letting this come down to a kick? That's a fair question. And you think he has a chance to run this race again. Maybe he plans that differently. The idea is just to qualify. Maybe that's in his mind as well, too. And probably hoping or probably thinking championship, world championship, it'll go out much more quickly and he'll be have the opportunity to, to grind these guys down. And remember, he, he finished fifth in world championship. 
last year. I mean, this is one of the best runners in the world. He's run 26-33. But it was just interesting because it brought back the, these memories of, you know, you want you want to see top three. And sometimes you forget about what's developing in front just because you're so interested in, like, who's going to get those team spots? Who's going to get the team spots? Similar thing happened in the women's side of things. And almost to a more extreme example because Schweizer and Monson were basically 200 meters up on the winner. So this was a little easier because you could basically watch them complete the race and then the camera cuts and it's Natasha Rogers versus Emily Enfeld at the 200 to go mark. So it was almost the best of both worlds because you could watch both battles. Now, Schweizer, her kick is back, clearly back from the injury. She was sub 15 second 5K. I mean, looked really good. Monson can close as well too. Put up a fight there, but Schweizer had that Schweizer speed that we're familiar with. Um, so she's going to make a team again. Monson's going to make a team again. But the drama was that last spot. And Rogers and Enfeld were just shoulder to shoulder, hip to hip, the last 100. It was so much fun to watch. And it was, it was interesting just because they had their own stage because the top two had finished. And you're just watching this thing one-on-one, -on -one, who's going to get it? You know, for a while there, Kaladi was also in the mix, but it came down to Rogers versus Enfield. And they both, I mean, both have incredible stories, incredible comeback stories. Ten years ago, Natasha Rogers running for Texas A&M finishes in the top three of the Olympic trials in the 10,000, but doesn't have the qualifying time, so can't go to the Olympics. It was one of those weird things where it was like the winner plus sixth place and eighth place got to go because of who's had the standard. Like everybody's trying to figure it out as they're running, like which person's in, which person's out. And, and she didn't have it, so she didn't get to go. And there were some years where she wasn't really running at all. And for her to make a team is a big comeback story. Obviously, we know about Enfeld. We know that she's a world championship medalist. She's had injuries, left Bowerman Track Club. Um, she was Gordon's pick for this race to, to, to be an upset, but she was right there. She was right there in position. Um, and it was, I don't know, it was the, a cool part of track and field just to see people both going, going for it for that final spot. Enfeld said she's going to come back, uh, and try to make it in the 5,000, which adds a new dynamic because of the championships being split this year with the 10 and the five. Does that, does that help her a bit? I mean, I, I would guess she would get some confidence from this and be in a good be in a good spot to give it another go. And I think a lot of people are going to be cheering for her just based on how close she was in this race. I mean, you watch those final strides. She gave everything she had. Like her legs went out. Both of them were just completely flat out. Again, because two were already in. So everybody in the stadium knew, everybody in the race knew it's one more. And they all had the standards. So all that stuff was fine. It was just 200 to go. These two women battling all the way to the line and I thought it was really exciting to see and it was it was a great contrast after that because then it went into world record mode where the pace lights were three and oh there were no world records Nian Saba got close ran 859 number two all time but uh G'day lost and Chepta guy ran 12 what 57 he ran slower than the open 5k or not the open 5k he ran slower than the saturday 5k which was not a record attempt at all but aragawi just destroyed everybody with a 1250 but
Um, anything else we missed? I mean, we'll get to it on Tuesday. I know people are going to want to talk about the uh, NCAA stuff as well because they had prelims this week, and that was pretty exciting. Any questions? I'm um, checking over on the chat. If anybody else has got something, throw it in the chat here, um, and then we'll close this out in a couple minutes. Colt's got to go to dinner, right? Colt, what are your dinner plans while we wait for questions if there's any? Oh, you know me, going downtown, the Ritz. Really? No, no. I'm going to Uber eat something probably. Again, see? So Colt averages 0.5. No, that was uh, Gordon. That was Gordon. I'm I'm better. I'm like two, two a week. Two a week maybe. He only cooks two of his own meals a week, and then the other whatever he uh... (laughs) – Well, I don't eat breakfast, so – Take those out of the calculation. It's actually, I'm yeah. not doing that bad. I'm not doing that bad, Kevin. So two, t- so you eat 14, there's 14 meals that you consume a week. Yeah. So 12 of them, you're Uber Eats. Okay. I don't think that's, that sounds way worse than I think it is. Maybe it's that <laughs> bad, but I, I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's check on the chat here. Cherry and 45. Yeah, break his 44 streak. Travis, if Travis is still on, Travis has kept diligent records of the Michael Cherry. 44 second streak. That was one thing I thought of uh, when I watched that race because he's always 45 or 44, 44, 44. Um, Anthony says Kip Yegon and Norman were magnificent. Absolutely. Camp Eagle says don't sleep on the NCAAs. Yeah, we'll get to that stuff next week. Joseph Fanvillet, man. That 100 was amazing. Maybe it was his 200. Maybe it was both of them. I, don't, I, just, I remember seeing a Joseph Fanvillet clip this weekend. Uh, and, and being impressed. Um, women's two. 2241. Raise your price. We got that up. You want to talk about that? Oh, was this? Okay, Trap says his 100 was stupid. Yeah, Fanbelay's like, his, his start seemed to be worse, but then the other 90 meters are better somehow. It is incredible. But I want to I want to talk more about that on... Tuesday when we get a chance. Uh, Jordan says Aragawi deserves a parade. Yeah. I mean, his... That 12.50 was nuts. Running a 12.50 solo like that in the middle of the day. Because I guarantee, I think the reason they didn't put Chapter Guy's race there is because they wanted better weather. And it looked to be better weather. But clearly you could still run fast then because he ran 12.50 by himself. All right, we got the YouTube page up here. There's some clips you check out. Subscribe to the Flowtrack YouTube page. Oh, we got interviews coming up uh, as well from the meet. Put those up tonight and into tomorrow. Oh, just refreshed. I got. We have a million interviews I have to upload, so I got to do that. Oh, what did uh, Bershawn Batman Jackson's daughter run? Yeah, she finished last, but hey. She's in high school, and this was a legit field. Uh, what did she run, Travis? She ran 23.28 in that 200. Um, yeah, it's a great experience for her. I mean, that's a legit field. That's not like your typical, oh, we're just, you know, we have about four or five big names, and then everybody else is is like a lane. Like, this is a legit Diamond League field. So to go in there as a high schooler is uh, obviously very, very tough. Um, 
Robert asked, what happened to Kincaid? Yeah, I saw an interview, I think, with Klecker, who said Kincaid was grabbing. He thought he had a stitch. But I'm not. I'm not 100% sure on that. We did not We did not get an interview with Kincaid. We got a Klecker interview up. We got a Grant Fisher interview. We have a McGordy interview. We have the top four on the women's side from yesterday. Um, so you check that out. But, yeah. And then we're getting more and more. Wow, it's Travis showing the uh, – these are all the ones you have to upload. So here are the ones that are going to come up. I mean, I want to see the Norman interview. I hope he, I hope he just fist bumps. We got an Elaine Thompson hurrah interview richardson did not stop for the media i saw someone posting there so someone post that who was there so we will not have a Richard interview oliver Hoare interview a lot of good stuff all right we'll leave it there uh flowtrack podcast at gmail.com have a good rest of your weekend remember we will be back on tuesday we won't record on memorial day we'll record on tuesday 9 a.m central time i will be with Gordon, and that's the plan if he gets his voice back. If not, again, I will be having Colt uh, try, try to convince Colt to actually step it up, to actually fill in here. Uh, I feel like he can just channel all Gordon's takes, just kind of do Gordon Mad Libs at this point. But. I can just parrot him. I can, I've listened yeah. for long enough, yeah. You can do Mad Libs. Such Definitely. and such is overrated because <laughs> this is not a big deal because just throw, out, you know, throw words together and, and it'll all work. Um, absolutely yeah so if we didn't get to any of the events we'll we'll, we'll recap that on on tuesday and then go into the ncaa stuff because gordon loves his ncaa's we won't we won't forget about the ncaa's uh again flowtrack podcast at gmail.com is the email address subscribe the flowtrack youtube page and the flowtrack podcast youtube page and uh we'll have a bunch of pre-classic interviews up so if you want to hear from some of your favorite athletes uh check up on the site you know today tonight tomorrow throughout the rest of the weekend Thanks to Colt. Thanks to Travis. We'll talk to you guys soon.